Hey, Kingfield family. Thanks for tuning in to this platform with us on Anchor.fm or whatever platform you were choosing to listen to your podcast on. These are going to be collections of our Coach's Corner, Coach's Talk with coaches, community members, and other friends within our network and the Kingfield family. So, Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Please, if you want us to bring anything or anyone on, reach out to Danny at CrossFitKingfield.com. Send your suggestions, comments, and we hope to bring more and more fun, more and more connection, and more and more value to you here on this platform. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Let's get chatting about this. Yeah. So yesterday we had a pretty fun time um, talking with Chris, and it was mostly just about us just rehashing you know, all of the, the inception of Kingfield Barbell, but mostly kind of like just our journey together, um, figuring out like how we, uh, how we all started and like fumbled through this thing. And I know you've got some pretty funny stories about that. Hi, Michael. Um, and so it's, uh, I, I'm going to ask you the same, same question. I want to always start these off with that, but you know, there's this saying of like, someone will tell you and be like, Oh, remember the days? Remember the times? Remember when? Are oh, these yeah. the times? Are these the days? <laughs> Cause currently think about it. Everybody's in this weird social distancing quarantine thing. But I think people will look back and be like, there's a lot of things we learned about that, that we enjoyed. Um, or we're nice. We got to learn about. So how do you feel about that whole thing? Start with that. Anthony. Well, you know, I think like, um, like my process of how I got to like discover this, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to find you a photo. Um, and you know, it's just, it's just interesting. Like I think everybody, everybody finds their way differently. I mean, I was fortunate enough that I had, um, I had a dad that was involved in a lot of like bodybuilding stuff. So we had a lot of equipment in our basement. And I mean, I just, I didn't really have friends that were interested in like lifting weights. Um, So I mostly just did a lot of training by myself and every once in a while, my friends would try and like pop in. And, but once we got into high school, um, you know, I managed to uh, find, fortunately we had a really good strength and conditioning program um that was mostly just involved in strength it wasn't too much conditioning so we were just really strong kids um and i'm trying to find this powerlifting photo of me it's it's fucking awful but i can't find it anywhere so i'm gonna ask you a question about that then do you because you hear this from parents often and like it i've heard this many times before of like and i would put you into the category as like a very high performer but people who are high performers or talented athletes who are in the you know the top percent of their, their sport. Do you feel like some of that hinges on um, being quote unquote lucky enough to have found a, a good coach that taught you like, Oh, this is what we're going to focus on. Or this is, you know, uh, be like, I don't know. I mean, I just learned five, three, one. And I just, like you said, I, we were just really strong kids. Do you feel like that played a role or helped launch you off to where you are today? I, yeah, I mean, I think it's like a general, um, you develop like, a I don't know what, like word I want to use here. Like I, I just felt like it was 
something that I wanted to continue to do because I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I, I, at the time when, when it was more like powerlifting focus and the, the powerlifting focus, the thing that made me enjoy it the most were the people that would always be like, that would always talk shit to you. So I, I, there was, there was a guy that I can't remember his name right now, but there was, there was a guy that I remember the, the one day that we were maxing out our back squat he just said, like, he was like, that looked fucking terrible. That looked like you were going to pass out. That was the shittiest squat I've ever seen in my entire life. And in my head, I'm like, I, I want to, like, I want to punch you in the face. But at the same time, I was, like, really inspired by that. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. Like, I remember that one day being like, this is, this is where I'm going to show this person that I'm going, I'm, I'm going to squat more than anyone else here. And that was pretty much what it turned into. Um, you know, I was, because of that, that just led into me being able to, that, that let that fire under my ass where I was like, I want to be good at this. And that eventually went away once I finished up high school, because I just wasn't interested in powerlifting. And that moved into, I for, I was fortunate enough to find weightlifting. So I do think that it's kind of like a luck of the draw type thing. Um, I think that, um, some kids are fortunate enough where like their parents maybe were involved in the sport. Uh, at an early age. Um, I think that some kids were fortunate enough where um, maybe it was a high school sport. I mean, if you're in Florida or if you're here in Minnesota, it's, you know, it's a part of most high school sports. I also think that you know, it's, a, it's a number of things. And then it's just, it just comes down to like, some of them are lucky enough right now that they have the money and financial support where they can do this full time and not need to work. Um, and some people are, you know, in that boat where it's like, they can't necessarily do that. So this is kind of like a part-time thing. And I'm in a, I'm in a boat where, you know, I have you that you're my financial support. Um, but you also allow me to train at the same time. So I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky to be in the position that I'm in that allows me to do what I need to do. So I think a couple of things, I have two books here that I think if anybody's interested in like, you know, kind of thinking about this idea of like, why are some people successful in sport? Why are some people successful in life? First one, this book, Sports Gene, um, written by Dave Epstein. Maybe I'll get my background off. So it's, uh, <laughs> if we're still in space. Um, but right here, the Sports Gene, Dave Epstein. And I think it's interesting because he talks a lot about, it. it's like the inside secrets of extraordinary athletic performance. And I think what Anthony talked about there a lot was that, he was fortunate enough to be in an environment that demanded excellence from him. And it inspired that in a way that was succinct and to the point and also, you know, resonated with him. So it struck a chord. And I think that, you know, that's not a perfect science in the coaching world. Like, you know, cause I'm sure that same scenario could have been played out multiple times over with uh, other athletes. And then guess what? That might not have been, um, that might not have been the most successful strategy or comment that could also be very unmotivating for somebody else. So I think that I agree. I think that your environment at which you find yourself in early on, um, it matters because you get reps. Like it's not necessarily about the weight that's on the bar, but it's the reps of actually doing the thing that's going to eventually get you there. Right. I mean, there is something for that. And then the second book that made you made me think of was outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And what I think about that is, and this talks about the story of success, it's the same idea. He says that, you know, like he talks about pro hockey players and that how pro hockey players, a large majority are born 
in January, February, March. But the reason this is so significant is because they're usually held back a year. So then they actually just have this longer time to develop. And then when they have more time to physically develop with their class, they show better prowess. So then they get more attention from coaches. So then they get access to better things. And then it's just a true trickle down effect. Like more doors are opened kind of because of this one thing, you know? And so having known you since 2000, you know, Chris and I were talking about this. I think we, we start, we met, you know, we probably came to know each other in 2014, but didn't get to yeah, meet in person. It didn't get to meet in person until Reno. Of, uh, so that was 2015. Yeah. And I telling people like I was going back actually through your Instagram and I was watching a lot of your videos from back then and your, your lifting style then and your lifting style now, it's so much different, right? Like you can, and if you have an eye for weightlifting, you can see that back then you're just so strong, but not as patient, right? The bar travels a little bit away from you. You just have this wider margin for making errors, but it still checks the box is like, this is a snatch. This is a clean and jerk. But now when you get to these heavier weights and you've gone up in these weight classes, you, as you found out this past winter, um, talking with other coaches was like the time came to recalibrate, right? We needed to recalibrate that process even more. And so I think that, um, what's important and a big takeaway for people is that, you know, there, there has to be kind of the perfect blend of in, in weightlifting specifically of, you know, access early on to training and somebody being able to teach you and help have some, some fundamentals. But like you even talked about, like you had a dad who was really into lifting weights, which probably means that you had a predisposition you know, genetically towards movement and things like that. So that helps. Um, it's not paramount, but it, it doesn't hurt. And so I think it's, um, you know, and like you said, you have found yourself continually to be in situations where there's been people to support you along the way to help you be successful. So those are, you know, as factors that people want to talk about, like what's it take to get to the high level, your network of support has to grow, right? Your network of support has to grow because that is ultimately what you have to lean on, you know, and, and with that. So let's talk about training specifically. Um, do you like training? I love training. It's like, uh, I, I don't know. I think about it. Um, I've been thinking about it more recently um, as I've spent more time by myself with training. And it, it's interesting where even like the days that, the days that I'm the most unmotivated are still days where I'm like, okay, like, so this is, this is then what we need to work on. If I'm, if I'm un, unmotivated to be here, then mentally, you know, where, like, what, what are the, the things that I need to work on in order to get myself through this session? What's going to help me get through this session? So I think that's the, that's like the one thing that I've been trying to spend more time on the most lately is during those periods where I'm not, really happy with how training has been going or I'm not really um, motivated to pick up a barbell like in this session you know what do what do I need to do like what do I need to spend time you know maybe thinking about within the session mentally in order to prepare myself on the day where I'm not motivated to compete um, and I still have to perform um, and this is I mean and we're just talking at a national level you know like i the day that an international level comes, it'll be really interesting to see how that then molds too, because, you know, it's, um, I've been more interested in the psychology of athletics, uh, than I have been in like the performance aspect of just, just in like lifting weights and, um, like spending more time, like 
on, okay, this person just walked in front of me when I was about to go do a heavy lift. Is that going to stop me from performing this heavy lift? You know, or like this, this music sucks today that this person decided to DJ. Like, is that going to stop me from, you know, being successful with my training today? Or I have no music at all. Like, is this a great opportunity for me to just kind of like focus on that mental talk of training and not have to have other stimulants involved in order for me to have a successful training session? So I think that there's um, there's a big value there that people um, can really take advantage of, especially weightlifters. Um, I mean, in the sport of CrossFit, it's a little bit different, but in weightlifting where like any given stimulus at any given time can happen and you just have to be mentally prepared to handle something like that. So I've been fortunate enough to watch your training pretty explicitly for the last five years. Would you say that your definition of success has changed um, voluntarily or that you had to intentionally continue to reinvent what it means to be successful in order to maintain consistency and longevity in the sport? Yeah, I think maturity um, and like just kind of constantly reevaluating what it means to be successful. Um, you know, like for me, uh, the the issue the issue within training has, has been like some numbers, like my snatch and clean and jerk numbers, they have they have increased, but like snatch specifically has been relatively consistent, and it's like. I just have to continue to remind myself that even though it's not going up does not mean that I'm not getting better. And I think that that, that is an issue for most early on lifters. Once they hit that like peak of training where they're not seeing or where they're, they stop seeing a ton of progress and it goes right into this um, kind of like fast halt where progress is no longer being made and mentally that's tough for them and they don't know how to handle that. And either they end up, uh, throw in a little fit and they um, have a hard time with training or they end up quitting. And so just learning how to recognize and deal with the fact that it's like this, you know, this 125 kilo snatch is currently what I'm dealing with right now. And, you know, it, it and I, and I have to visually see all the other people that I compete against, they continue to make this progress. And, and, it's just living in this world of social media and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. My thought process is all over the place, but no, I think it's great. And I think, yeah, this is what I've, this is what I've actually got to witness. And I think has been really successful for you is that, so have you ever heard of the term show and go? Uh, no, I don't think so. So my baseball coach used to just be like big, big thing of chew in here and he used to not swear but he used to say things like cheese and crackers you know that was like his way of doing it but let's say we were getting the shit kicked out of us by a team right he would just clap just be like all right boys i just need a little bit of show and go i need you just a little bit of show and go and basically show and go means i just need you to care a little bit less like i actually don't need you to think anymore i just need you to get out there and not give a shit and with that see what happens. And it was interesting because you're telling a bunch of nine-year-olds, nine to 13-year-olds, like I had this coach forever, to not give a shit. And like, what else do I have in my life right now? Like, this is, I, I'm going to the major leagues. Like, this yeah. is the most important thing in my life. Like, I play second base. I am four foot seven. I have made two diving catches this season. I bat first. Okay. I got a 19 ounce, 19 ounce Easton bat. I wear two batter's gloves. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> all these things. And this idea of show and go resonated with me because I just didn't give a shit. 
And I found early on that if I went out there and put less pressure on myself and I just let myself just, it worked, right? And then that translated into soccer where I was probably the most confident athletically. And I think um, for you specifically, this has been a conversation that we've had a lot was like, Anthony, you're not going to bat a thousand weightlifting. And like, guess what? Sometimes I have nothing to tell you, but just move on. And you've done that and you've accepted that this year, which I think has been huge, especially moving up in weight classes. So I think you've demonstrated this element of show and go, which has been really, really powerful because you've shown up, you've gotten your sessions over with, you've done what you need to do. And it's like, I'm out. Right. And then some days it's not great. Some weeks it's not great. But I think that it's, you can't underestimate that, um, from an athletic, from an athlete perspective about how important it is to be able to, um, compartmentalize training sessions and not, because I think what happens when we're new in the sport is that we think that this shitty day is now how the rest of my career is going to be like every day I'm going to come in and be terrible now. Great. It felt horrible. I mean, that's welcome to what this is or, or intentionally there's been a lot of external factors that athletes don't want to look at. And then they were able to snatch a hundred kilos. And then one day they picked up a hundred kilos and it felt like 200 kilos, you know, and, and then they're all thrown off. Like, will I ever get strong again? And it's like, Hey, just hit the pause button. And first yeah. let's just, let's just try to develop some consistency. And I think that that's, what's super important is that, um, you know, and, and you and I've talked about this a lot. It's like, cause you're a thinker, right? You're a thinker. You want to, you want to see solutions. And sometimes it's like, Hey, your actual goal is to just be in this feeling right now. And I think you've embraced that and it's actually turned out a lot better. You know, I've seen you take more chances on the platform. Um, I've seen you be willing to, um, to take bigger risks, which at some point you have to. And so I just want to say that I think that that's been, been great, but so let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, so you're an athlete and you're a coach. These are two very different hats. Okay. How much of your own experience do you try to see through like use, um, as a way, or like, does that influence your coaching lens? You know what I mean? Like the things you tell yourself, do you tell your athletes the same thing? Or is it kind of like, yes, and, or it depends, like, does, does your athlete, your athlete lens influence your coaching lens at all? Well, um, I guess it goes along the same lines of what you said as a problem solver. Um, so, and this actually just goes, this goes right in line with, um, something that I was just reading from clinical athlete, uh, yesterday, they, they had some material out on like the, it was, it was about coaching the power clean. And it made me think about like myself as, as an, as an athlete and as a coach, I don't coach people the same way that I lift because I think, and I think for the most part, we all know, like no one's going to lift like somebody else. I know, I know how I lift and I know my technique. And so when I watch video of really good lifters, um, and I'm, I'm just observing their technique. I try and observe multiple techniques, but I also try and observe people that are very similar to how I look. And so then that way I just kind of understand what they're doing and conceptualize that. But when it comes to me coaching other people, I'm never like, well, here's what I do. It's more so like, here's what I think, um, about, uh, and I think that that, that tends to resonate more than like, here's what I do. Here's how I set up. Here's how I do things. Um, because that tends to be an immediate solution for people, but it's not always like the proper solution. So instead providing context in which like 
when I'm coaching somebody and they may have a mislift, well, why do you think that that happens? And, and having them go through that problems, that problem solving to figure it out. It tends to be frustrating for the person sometimes uh, because problem solving isn't quite what people want. They want an answer immediately. But sometimes what this is going to do, or actually I would say, I'd, I'd feel like more times than not, what this is going to do is this going to, it's going to make the person think, and then it's going to lead to long-term solution rather than just short-term gains. Every once in a while, there is something that is of relevance where I'll be like, oh, I've experienced this before. Here's what we need to do. Um, but for the most part, if I have the time, I want someone, I want someone to think about it. So instead I, I tend to kind of question things as I go along when coaching somebody, because I, I do want them to spend the time kind of thinking, because then that way we can put the two together rather than me just telling you one way. And you just think of that as your only solution. Instead, it's much, it's much better for the person to also understand as an athlete, like, oh, this is why we're doing it. And, and then he provides that affirmation when I, when I give an answer and then it's like, yes, that's exactly what we're trying to, if you understand what I'm saying right now. Um, that's how I coach new people. That's how I coach people that have been doing it for a long time. Um, even like when people come in from other gyms and are just lifting here, I never coach them. I always just ask them, you know, like if, if they miss, I, I simply just ask, like, why do you think that happened? What's going on? Because they also might say something that I might not see. And that's really good for me because that's feedback where I can look for that later on and be like, oh, I understand. I see that now. Or for the person in class that I'm coaching, if they say something that I don't see and I look for that and I'm like, that's about spot on and I must have missed that. So it's, it's, uh, it's a really good coaching tool. So what do you think about – you know, if somebody comes in an athlete and they, they've just got this technique about them that might not fit into the conventional box, right? Maybe they've, you know, some fancy terms you would hear, I think amongst, uh, maybe novice level coaches is like, they've got corto extremity violations or, you know, like you're looking at how they're inefficient, you know, maybe they, Maybe they hip clean, maybe they bend their arms. Like there's all these things that like, I think early on in weightlifting, probably even like five-ish years ago, we saw some very dogmatic principles. Like this is really how you're supposed to lift weights. I mean, as a coach, do you believe that you should comment or coach things out of people? Or do you feel like it's, you know, people will develop their own style and you just need to help cultivate stuff. I mean, where, at what point in time do you feel like it's important to make a wholesale change? Well, and I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you can attest this too. Like we're in, in the field of coaching, like we're salesmen. And if I just come up to you and tell you, no, don't buy that, buy this, like someone might not take well to that. And so if I like, if instead I just spend some time like getting to know you and understand like where this technique is coming from and every once in a while, maybe I can make a little suggestion here and there and they spend that time getting to know me maybe there we develop a relationship in which like they open up and allow me to start to make those technique changes and they really take well to that while there are other people that are like i'm not going to listen to you this is how i do things and that's fine uh but you're going to hit a wall and then next thing you know like you're only snatching 155 pounds and i uh, and, I'm, and if you're not going to listen, if you, if you don't bother listening to what I have to say, one, that's on me. Like I have to, you know, I have to figure out how to adapt to you and where you're coming from. But two, you know, like I have to, um, like 
maybe that wall after a period of time might then open you up to be like, okay, what do you actually think? You know? So it, 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 it's a, it's a tough, it's tough. It goes both ways. I'll, I'll answer Michael's question. I got this kind of segues into what I'm asking. I have next because so building off of that, I was going to say, because in, in an effort to thinking about what we're talking about today, this topic of like your training journey. So now I'm going to put the, put it back on you. What most people probably don't realize is that you have had um, the same coach for almost six years now. Um, yeah. At Greenwald. Yeah. And so in, uh, in November or December, I forget. Yeah. And so like Michael asked here, where did you start in your technique um, and what made you make a change or a shift? And I would add to that. Um, my intention of asking that first question is what about you? Like, are you open to making changes or technique like in your technique or is it because that you have such a long history with Zach um, who I've worked with for almost just as long? Um, is it because that relationship is there and you trust him that you are receptive to that stuff? I mean, Cause I think in for athletes, this is important. Like when do we stand up for ourselves and be like, Hey, this is, this is how I want to do this. And when do we have to defer and let, and trust that our coaches know what they're talking about? Because it has to be a one, a one B type deal. Sometimes, you know, if you both are trying to fit through the same door at the same time, it's never going to work. So um, like, what is it like, are you receptive to changing technique or are you pretty resolute as of right now? I think it, it's, it's very like, it, it depends on the context. So I think I, I, I like, first of all, I'm somebody that let's say, let's say if I'm watching technical videos of a lifter and I'm like, wow, I really like that. I'm going to try that today. That tends to be a dangerous route in which I do things where I'm almost like instantly making, trying to make a change. Cause I think that that's cool. And I like that. And then it ends up throwing my lifting off. And I think more recently what has happened is I've, I've developed a, a, an ability to understand kind of how my body likes to be positioned before I lift. And because of that, I'm like, is this going to be my technique for forever? But instead I want to, I'm starting to try and own that and be like, this is, this is going to be my technique and I need to stick with this. And I need to use this as an ability to improve my position over time. So it's kind of like a yes and no. Like if, if, you know, Zach, like Zach, we've, we've been working on um, transitioning from the first to the second pole. And we just, you know, we recognize that there were just some things that were off about the first pole that led into just a poor position in the second pole. Yes. I'm willing to change that because ultimately that's going to lead to my ability to snatch much, much more. Um, but in the initial time, that's going to take steps. That's going to take um, different approaches with like different uh, complexes, doing different kinds of pull variations and stuff like that. In the beginning, when I was just coaching myself before Zach, I would probably change. I change my technique almost every day because I was I wanted an immediate solution, and so I thought if I just change my technique, that'll provide the immediate solution. I will then have a better lift. Sometimes it worked. A lot of times it didn't work. So that, that took a few years to kind of work itself out. And I would say pretty much up until these last couple of years, um, I, I was doing that a lot and I was like, not even, not even thinking about it sometimes that I was trying to make all these changes. 
And so now it's gotten to a point where I'm like, I need to be consistent with this. This is working and it's going to continue to work. Like I need to be confident in that. And, you know, just trust like when someone like Zach is telling me that we need to make these adjustments or Zach had talked to uh, Jared Fleming, Jared Fleming was like, this is what he needs to work on. I just you know that is Nash. Process. So <clears throat> if, it was, if it was like an everyday coach and I don't know them, it's not like a no offense thing, but it would be like, I, I would be relatively hesitant just because I don't know you. And I don't think that that's an appropriate thing to do to a lifter. But if so I had, I, you know, like if, if it was, if I didn't know Zach, but I know Zach's history and he came up to me, it'd be a little bit different where I'd, I'd be more receptive to that. You know, if it was Mike Bergner, you know, instantly receptive to that because these are the people that have seen thousands upon thousands of athletes and they have that ability to just recognize in a moment's notice what adjustments need to be made. Yeah, I mean, when the American record holder of the snatch says, hey, pro tip, maybe you listen, right? Exactly. I mean, if, they, if they're snatching 175 kilos and have made multiple world teams um, and they've worked with some of the best coaches in the country – or in the world, I should say, they probably know what the fuck they're doing. So then you made this, you, you said this thing I think was pretty powerful, but it like slid under the radar. You said up until a couple of years, this is what I was doing. Now, if we put this in the broader context, up until the couple of years, that means for eight years you were doing this thing, right? Yeah. I mean, like, and so I think that that, that shouldn't be um, overlooked because I feel like it, for us and, and, owning a barbell club and, and having a, a pretty steady population. We have also experienced many of lifters who have hit this frustration point. And uh, sometimes inevitably the process is finger pointed out before finger pointed in. And as coaches, we are always going to point the finger at us first. You know, we're never going to be like, cause we're going to always just rack our brains as like, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh, Oh my gosh. You know, is there something I can do? How do I create connection? But ultimately um, it, it's like we have to understand, you know, as, as coaches, how to communicate, but also not how to enable, you know, we have to try to help teach accountability and responsibility, um, but also get our message across. So it, it resonates well with the person we're talking to for you specifically. Um, how do you like to be talked to from a coaching standpoint? Like is, is, you know, if you're far away from competition, is there, are you receptive to different things versus in competition as it leads up? I mean, like talk us through that process because um, I'm sure there has to be a different way. Like if you're three months out from a national competition and you have two of these a year, your thought process is different from just a local meet that might come off multiple times a year. Yeah. I mean, like um, if there's one thing that you know about me, um, and Zach knows about me, it's that the mentality of lifting has definitely shifted from 2015 to 2020. And, and it's been for the best I've spent. I mean, I'm most of my life has been based around like, how do I mentally perceive these moments? I mean, like eight years of teaching yoga, 10 years of practicing yoga, like really can do a number and how you handle things mentally. Um, you know, so I tend, and you know the most, I'm not the most pumped up person in the back room. Maybe at local meets, I tend to have, I tend to be a little bit more laid back. That's just because it doesn't really matter. Um, no offense to local meet lifters. Um, but like, well, it's I, not that it doesn't matter, but it's also like, yeah, we have to put that into context of like in the greater athletic calendar, 
we don't peak your training for these types of meets. We use these meets um, as, you know, training with other variables, you know, judges. Let me, let me, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me continue. So the same, the same thing applies at national meets too. Um, when it comes to like the mental aspect of national meets, like if I'm running around the back room, like a dickhead and I'm screaming my head off and I'm bombing each lift, like that, that, that right there is a mentality problem. Like the way in which you handled the meet, it's not that you weren't capable of the load. It's that you mentally didn't handle this to the best of your ability. So in a, in a moment's notice, like I know at a, at a local meet, like the energy is always really good. I know that in the back room who I'm going to be lifting with. And so it tends to be a bit more laid back and I can enjoy myself. I always enjoy myself, but I, I can be a bit more laid back in these scenarios. Well, uh, at a national meet, I know the people that I'm lifting with to an extent, but people take it so seriously that you, you see different spectrums of people. And I'm somebody that it's like, I handle things one way when it comes to warming up, but the second it comes platform time, like I don't think that there's a thing that you could say. I don't think there's a thing that Zach could say. I don't think there's a thing that anybody could say in that moment that's going to change generally what I'm thinking. And that's because I, I to myself am thinking that I'm going to make this lift and that's and to me that's all that matters um and i think i i've in the past it's been more of like an unsurety thing where i'm just like i don't know if this is gonna happen like i just made weight um i just like i just eked in here i'm feeling kind of tired well now it's been more so like well screw all that stuff like no like this is the time you need to do this I can do this. And it's been more along that process of just simplifying to the fact that I can do this. I've done all of the work for this. And it's not like as a, as a, like a, a bad thing to you or Zach that you guys can't say anything. It you're, you're my crew that tends to hype me up, but at the same time, like it's also me that needs to hype me up too. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if anybody were to on the periphery watch, <clears throat> one of your sessions when it's going down it's probably the most low energy thing on a national meeting i mean it, uh I, I mean for me I, I do very well in chaos so when the board changes and numbers go crazy and all that stuff happens and coaches are running back and forth i just calmly walk up and I'm like hey let's do this we're gonna do this i mean like we talk to each other just very monotone and zach is my favorite hands behind his back or riding on his forearm and yeah. You got the sweatiest palms in the world. But I mean, like as a coach, I always approach that situation of like, Hey, the work is done. And on game day, I'm not supposed to be giving you any technical cues because those should have been covered months ago. Right. You know? And so, and I think a little like inside as to our relationship and how that works is, you know, when you're basically two meets a year, nationals and AO finals, when those start to come up, about three months out, we start talking about mentality. We start talking about narrowing in the focus, creating boundaries around training time, creating um, some, you know, letting people know that what you're doing and this is going to take priority. And as it gets closer, it's going to even take more priority, you know? And like, and I think those are things we have those continual conversations about how do I frame myself in this light so that I can be successful? Because 
currently this seems like the longest thing you've done, but you're going to live outlive your athletic career for years and years and decades and decades. So therefore we don't want to look back and be like, fuck, you know, I didn't, I couldn't do everything I did. And so I think that also is one of those things we're talking about mentality, because at the end of the day, there's, you know, we still have a lot to learn about the sport of weightlifting, but um, I think this new age level of coaching is like, we get in there and we, we really start to help educate. And we've done this with you, like any factor that you can control and anything that we can start to bring some awareness around good or bad, let's do it. Let's create some awareness around this because then we can make calculated shifts. We can make calculated action plans. Um, and then, you know, and then set ourselves up for the next training, training cycle, you know, because it's basically, um, it goes nationals is in May and then we'll have a one week deload where we don't do anything. And then it's everything going forward with December in mind, right? We still have, you know, um, we still have like a couple local meets and stuff like that. And we, we set some framing for that, but then that's your longest training period till December, December, we take time off and then you have, you know, basically January, February, March, April. So you got that four month haul into nationals. Um, so I think that it's important, you know, the sport of, I, from the outside, I call the sport of weightlifting, the sport of heartbreak because you get six attempts to literally define a training cycle or half a year or whatever. And there's nothing I can do about it. Absolutely nothing. I mean, what I'm responsible for as a coach is all of the moments in training and in between lifts um, that's what I, <clears throat> I get to own. The success is yours. When that's our biggest message to athletes is if you're successful on the platform, like you own that moment. Whenever ones are going to like throw a t-shirt at you and be like, Hey, make sure you wear that and hold our water bottle up here, you know, and say, smash that like button. That's yours. Yeah. Well, and you've been a, you've been a huge uh, help with the mental aspect of things too. Um, you know, like you, you and Zach uh, bring a lot of awareness around that. And I think that's why, that's why I've started to think this way it's not that during meets um, you're not helpful because you guys are the ones that successfully get me to the platform on time and do all the right things. You're the ones that bring a lot of uh, good mental talk around warm up attempts and stuff like that, getting into everything. And then just, it, it creates just a level of mindfulness that helps me where it's like, if, if in a moment I missed a lift, you, you know, to come up and be like, well, what's happening here. And then it's like, Oh yeah, I'm thinking about this but I need to be doing this right now. And so it is, it is very assistive in getting me to that right mindset. It's the second that I'm sitting on that chair before I go out onto the platform where it's like, it's just me. This is what I need to do. This is at this point, this is completely individual. This is up to my decision, um, my discretion. And so it, it, um, it tends to be an interesting kind of conversation. There's not a lot that's going on through my head. Uh, because I don't want it to be, you shouldn't be talking to yourself a lot. It should mostly just be like, to me, at least I, like I keep saying I can do this and I'm just spending in time, spending time envisioning the lift. And that's generally what I do. That's generally what I try and do before an attempt when I'm warming up, like even during general training sessions, if it's a heavier day and I'm locked in, that's generally because I'm trying to envision the lift before I go and do the attempt. But on the days where I'm having a lot of misses and mentally I'm just not there, it's because I actually haven't been doing that mental preparation before a lift. And that is very, that, that's really helpful 
to be honest, is just spending time thinking about what's my intent with this lift before I do it. Because the times that I don't do that, it's the second I go up to the lift and I, it's like I lose that feeling that I'm going to be able to make this and then I actually don't do it. So I, I want to end here with um, what would you say to like anybody who, who might be listening that's their new lifter and they've kind of hit that like that they're off the pink cloud, right? So like this 12, 18 months of just like PRs, 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 PRs paralleled with just accruing or, uh, you know, acquiring all of the gear. So now you have all the gear, you look the part, right? But now we're, maybe an injury has popped up, maybe just lifts aren't going up. Now we're contemplating leaving coaches or things like that. Like, um, what would you say to that person today? Like if they're, you know, cause it's kind of like you've been there, but you're also stuck through that. So you've seen the other side, but what, what would you say to that person? Or what would you say to yourself, you know, eight and a half years ago? that's in that spot? Well, I mean, I think I honestly, if, if it was to myself, I think I've done all the right things. Um, and that's cause I'm confident with the decisions that I made. I mean, I could have, I could have, if I wanted to underwent a shoulder, a shoulder surgery. Um, I mean, I could have underwent, you know, some knee related surgeries too, if I really wanted to, or I could be optimistic and just be mindful of the, the outlook uh, and the future, and then just be confident with the coaching that I have. I'm fortunate enough to have Zach as my coach and him be the one that handles all of this material. And then also have the advice from, from people that I trust that, you know, are in the field of rehabilitation and just take like, and try, I guess I, I, it was also like trying different things, hearing different things from different people, kind of piecing that together, find something that found something that worked. And then from there, I just kind of like worked through the injury that occurred rather than like got down on myself and, you know, stopped lifting and left. And, and Zach knows, like, there's been a few conversations and you know, there's been a few conversations of like, do I need a new coach? Do I need something different? And, and instead it's like, no, this is, I mean, I need to treat this like I would treat a real relationship. Like my relationship with my coach is going to be complicated at times. And so I need to, how do I handle that, that complication? Do I just leave? And I don't think that that's appropriate when instead it's like, no, we need to have a conversation. We need to figure this out. We need to take the time. We need to be diligent. We need to understand that this is just something that is going to take time. And if I continue to be frustrated about it rather than be proactive and optimistic about this situation and how can we improve, um, I'm, this is, this is bound to fail. Um, and I've, I've been down in the dumps and I thought that it was going to be bad and just thought that it wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, I mean, that was when we decided to not do the American open in 2018, 2018. Yeah. We, we yeah. pulled that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we pulled from that one because of what I was going through with my shoulder and, you know, then talking to my friend Mitch and spending time talking to you, working really diligently with Zach um, and then really kind of molding that all together, spending a lot of time on like my mental framework. Um, yes, going up in body weight helped with recovery. We just recognized in 2019 that that wasn't going to be the most optimistic approach was to, or wasn't to stay at that body weight or to, yeah, to stay at the body weight that we were at. So there are a lot of factors that were involved with that. I mean, if it's somebody that I'm like, I'm coaching, just from my experience, generally, I would want to just question that approach. Um, 
why are we thinking this way? Um, what's happening here? What, um, you know, like just kind of along those, those like why, uh, what, how, when, like, when did we start to think this way? Is there any, is there anything that we need to do to maybe communicate more, uh, spend some more time together, um, adjust the programming like Zach will, uh, heavily attest to adjusting programming to material that the lifter also enjoys at the same time while they're also getting a productive programming from the athlete. So I've thus changed my programming perspective from like, Oh, this is what I like. So they're just going to do all of that to like, well, what do they enjoy? So our conversations are now more based around like, what, what are you going to have fun doing while we can also get in a good amount of work from what I want you to do. So there's, I don't think there's ever like, I, I think it's a, it's not just one conversation. It's multiple conversations that again, it's just going to get me to be able to be more, um, I guess like get deep in that relationship with the athlete. And then we, we tend to, um, tend to solve it, you know, just like Zach and I have solved it multiple times. So. Yeah. I think you said they're just treating your coach relationship like a real relationship because it is, and then trusting that he can adjust the program to things you like. I mean, that, the idea of a relationship or a partnership is really important because I think that what, what athletes have to understand is this, is that um, all of the information in the world is free on the internet. Like you can go find it. And that coaching actually isn't about the movements that are written or the, uh, the sequence put together. It's about the relationship and then your dedication to being able to follow through and then trust that that's going to, uh, going to yield the result you're looking for. So Cool, man. I, uh, I appreciate your time. I think this was super, super helpful. Um, anybody that missed the first five to seven minutes of uh, this chat, super recommend you go back now and you'll see Anthony um, not only discover the virtual backgrounds on Zoom, uh, we had some pretty good fun with that. And that's why I was in space for a little while. So um, yeah, that was, that was so funny. Awesome, man. Hey, I really appreciate it. Um, I think this was fun and we'll, uh, we'll be uh, talking, talking soon. Michael, good to see you. I'm taking get all turning these into podcasts too sounds like a person i went to high school with michael can you use english please use some english yeah i mean i think n-g-i-s-h michael english <laughs> yeah i don't know i think like uh <laughs> lifters there's so many lifters that have gotten into this in uh, many different ways so in, especially in the United States, um, in other countries, it's definitely different. Um, it's a little, it's a, a bit more of like a one way approach that these lifters find how they get into things. Um, yeah. but, you know, while with myself being in the United States, having the freedom, the implementation of CrossFit and all those other things, like I would say I was relatively lucky to find what I found. Yeah. Um, well, and I think we, you know, if people are interested in lifting, you know, um, I think it's really important that, you know, you can find us kingfieldbarbell.com. Uh, we have our own website at kingfieldbarbell on Instagram. CrossFit Kingfield is the, uh, the CrossFit affiliate of it all. Kingfield is the parent company of this whole jazz band. But I think you'll find that the principles that we coach by and the things that we preach um, are consistent, not only in our barbell club, in our CrossFit program, but throughout the whole ecosystem. And it's, you know, I think we, we're very transparent in what we, and what we preach and what we do. And so, um, yeah, if anybody's interested, just please find us and we'll, uh, we'll Absolutely. Love to chat. So cool. Awesome, man. We'll talk soon.
Yep. Gracias. Okay.